Hola, and welcome to the Beauteous Me podcast, a relatable and authentic space for all. Every week, we hop on a roller coaster, share laughter and tears on topics we might be ashamed to discuss. We do this all while finding its inner beauty. My name is Jamili Whitfield, and the journey begins now. Hi, guys. Welcome back to another episode here of the Beauteous Me podcast. Um, this is a pre-recorded episode, but I might have to release it a little bit early because May is Mental Health Awareness Month. And what a best way to kind of kick off Mental Health Awareness Month than to talk about one of the disorders where people tend to misconstrue, especially in the mental health field, diagnosing people at an earlier age when they're not supposed to be diagnosed with that. Um, teenagers, I would say, and, and young children, um, and people self-diagnosing themselves because they're going through different moods, um, which we now call disruptive mood dysregulation disorder. But here we have a woman, a fierce woman, and I'm going to introduce her. And this is personal to me because she is my amiga. Pilar Olivo, welcome. <laughs> so Pilar, hello, hello. yeah, hi. So Pilar Olivo is a wife, mom, and devout woman of God. She is an alumni of the College of New Rochelle and is now a scholar at the Kidman Academy, where she will become a minister for children's ministry. She is a fierce Latina and a poet. Pilar, I am so grateful and humbled to have you here to share your story, um, for being vulnerable at this moment, um, to step out of your comfort zone or step out of your protective zone, if you will, to kind of share your experiences with what? Bipolar disorder. So welcome. Introduce yourself. <laughs> Well, thank you first for having me. You have an amazing platform, and I'm just honored that you're sharing it with me. I am, uh, I would call myself a mental health survivor. Mm-hmm. So I've been diagnosed with bipolar disorder, but it doesn't define me. I'm thriving with it. And although I do have episodes in a year, I sometimes have two or three episodes that occur. I go on my retreats, as I call them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I... um figure out how to manage it better. So I'm learning how to manage this disorder. I haven't nailed it down and I may never. I'm going to have it for life. And the best thing that I can do for myself is just take care of myself now because my daughters are very young and I want them to see a healthy mom as they grow up. Absolutely. So let's get into it. Let's talk about what is bipolar disorder because there's four different types, right? And so um, some of it depends on the extent of the mania. Some of it depends on the extent of the depression. So um, for those of you looking for more information, you can easily find the four different um, episodes for um, bipolar disorder. But most specifically, um, Pilar, which one is yours? So I have bipolar one, mm-hmm. and that is um, characterized by having one manic episode and one depressive episode, and they come in cycles. Mm-hmm. So in a year, I can have. For me, it's it's usually two manic episodes and then one depressive episode after a manic episode, and the depressive episode doesn't last very long. I've been really good at getting myself out of depression, relying on my family and praying. And all of those things have helped me to kind of just combat it. You know what I mean? The best way that I can. Um, the mania is for me what has been the hardest to um, control mm-hmm. because it comes out of nowhere there, you know. And once 
I am in a manic state, most times I have to be hospitalized, unfortunately. Yeah. So, Pilar, this story is raw and um, real for, I, I, I want to say for you, um, for me as your friend in yeah. um, the first time, and that was in 20... 2000... Seven or eight. 2007 or 8. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember that day that, you know, we, Pilar and I went to college together. We've hung out. We were college sweet mates, meaning she shared one room, I shared the other room, we shared bathrooms. You know, we've shared so many intimate moments. When she moved, I moved living a block away from each other. <laughs> we've worked yeah. together. Um, you name it. So when you have a friend, you know your friend, you know your friend's behaviors, you know patterns, you know differences. And I could remember that day um, was different. That day was completely different. You you had come to my house um, and you were out and about. I can't remember, like you were out hanging out um, and then you were like, hey, Jamily, can I crash? And I was like, yeah, come to my, you know, like I, I, that's just how, you know, it was. And, you know, you were happy and elated. And I was like, she's extra happy. And so you extra don't want to, yeah, I was yeah. like, so you don't want to see kind of those things because it's like, Oh, my friend is like feeling good. She's going with the flow, but then you're like, yes. "This is a little extra happy." What is it's what is going on? Energy. It's exceptional it. Yeah, it's it is exceptional energy. And I was just like, "Girl, did you sleep?" No, I'm ready. I'm wide awake, and I'm gonna go, and I'm gonna go to work. And something when you left in that cab that morning, and I was going to work at that time. I was working at the hospital. Something yeah. in my soul didn't sit right. It just didn't. And I was like, "Uh, hello, you're a social worker, um, but you don't see things when it's close, near, and dear, you know." And I sat there, and I was just like. Something in my spirit shifted and I was like, I need to call somebody. I need to find somebody. Something isn't right. I kept calling you that yeah. day. Your phone was off and I'm like, oh my God, what is going on? I remember then tracking down your mom to yeah. be like, what is going on? I'm worried about her. There's these things that I, I witnessed and I saw. Um, and I was like, she is, this is just not her. This is this normal level of hyperactivity, if you will, or extra energy. This is not Pilar. And so yeah, it's definitely like one swing, like a pendulum, you know, swings from one side to the other. And it's just too, it goes too far. Mm -hmm. sometimes. Mm -hmm. And when you're there, there's no controlling it. Yeah. So there's rapid speech, um, excessive spending, risky behaviors, all of these things that you think, like I, in, in the moment, I'm like, this is okay. I'm having fun. Mm -hmm. And it takes someone outside of your situation to, like you, to see mm -hmm. it and to say, that's not really Pilar. Like, yeah. you know, she's off. And I thank you for that. Even to this day, my mother's like, Jamili has your back. Because <laughs> she called me. <laughs> and, you know, I was able to get the help that I needed. And it could have it could have been a lot worse. Yeah. Now, speaking about that situation, I know um, things shifted in a lot of people and how you felt people viewed you, treated you um, and everything. Because what, what people don't understand is that mental health comes, especially diff culturally, with such a stigma. People want to be like, oh, this person is this way. Oh, my God, you got to be careful. And to me, I'm sensitive. I'm very sensitive about it because I have a brother who has schizoaffective disorder. And his mental illness um, 
And it's hard for me to talk about it sometimes because it's like, it's, you know, it's your family. And then you look at, it's not, it's not bipolar disorder. It's schizoaffective disorder. When you see it, you're just like that, that person in the train who's talking to themselves and, and arguing, like arguing. And usually you would see it as a homeless person doing that. It's not a homeless right. person. This is my sibling. This is a person who has a home, who has family, who has, uh, food on the table, um, clothes on their back, that a, a support system. But it's this person who is in the streets arguing and yelling with themselves. And I, I remember the day of my, my, I was leaving to my honeymoon. I was dropping off my son to my mom's house and my brother was having an episode and I was coming out of the car and going to go upstairs, you know, to the apartment building. And I hear him from down the block. I hear his voice and he's like, and I'm like, oh my goodness, is this okay for me to leave my son here? I'm going to change plans. I'm concerned. Um, And so while I'm crossing the street, this guy looks and he was like, oh, es un loco ahí. Ese, lo ese loco siempre está ahí, ahí peleando oh, solo. This is a crazy guy. He's always arguing by himself. And I felt such rage and anger. I was like, that's my yeah. brother you're talking about, you know? Um where people could feel shame and be like, oh, I don't know what he's talking about. Maybe that is my brother, but that's my, that's my brother. At the end of the day, that's my brother. And I was like, that's my brother you're talking about. And you know, that day I had to, I had to, it's like the day I'm leaving on my honeymoon, I'm getting my brother hospitalized, you know? And it wasn't a good feeling. Um, but my mom cried that night and she was like, thank you. Because I, I, I was drowning by myself here in the house. I was drowning by yeah. myself here in the house. And I bring that up because, um, and which is why I said, you know, we're going to get raw, real and personal is that people tend to make these assumptions and isolate and ostracize people when they're at their lowest points Absolutely. without a reason to do so. And I know you experienced some of that. So I want you to kind of share your journey in that and what that was like. Oh, boy. Yeah. So my first and I would say my biggest depressive episode was exactly like that. It was right after my, my first manic episode. I was depressed for an entire year. I stayed in my house. I, I'm i not going to say friends didn't reach out to me. I also didn't reach out to friends. Mm -hmm. But I was going through a lot of crap, yeah. you know? And it felt like I was an, out on an island by myself, like I was forgotten. Mm -hmm. And I know that it was hard for people to approach me because they didn't know what was going on. And they probably associated it to, you know, she's just living back home with her parents now. She lost her job. She's a little sad. But I was in a major depressive episode, and I felt completely alone. And I thank God to this day I didn't have any suicidal ideation mm -hmm. or, you know, any thoughts of that. But it was bad. My parents had me, you know, in a room. I wouldn't bathe all day. I just felt like my life was over. And it was that one episode made me feel that way made mm. me feel like everything that I had ever done in the past was just null and void and I was nothing like my self-image and self-worth was mm -hmm. to the ground and family were, were they were the only ones that were supporting me that yeah. were there that showed me love that said you know we're gonna get through this my mother would pray over me and um, encourage me to, you know, get up out the bed, go mm -hmm. for a walk outside. And, um, 
And they, to this day, they do that. If they see that I'm falling off a little bit, they're like, you know, you better snap out of it. You don't want to go back to that depressive episode. You know, they remind me of where I was. Mm-hmm. And I thank God that I've come so far that I haven't experienced that again. But one thing I can say is you need your village. Yeah. I had a village before this happened. You know, in college, we oh, were 20 deep. What? I know I look at pictures and, I, and videos with all the fun yeah. we used to have. Yeah. And I want to encourage anyone who's listening who has someone in their family with a mental illness, the worst thing you can do is feel that you're inadequate and being able to help and support them. Mm -hmm. So you ostracize yourself, right? Mm Because you're like, I don't know what to say. And I don't want to be depressed because if I go around her, I'm going to get depressed. Mm -hmm. Or she's going to snap at me because that's, you know, if I'm having mood swings because of my bipolar disorder, I'm very agitated and... I lash out at my loved ones. So I'm not the easiest person to love at that moment. But you need to man up and show this person love. Yeah. That is the the easiest thing that you can do when you want to support somebody with mental illness. Mm -hmm. Um, And it can be just sitting with them in silence, in their funk, in their bed, in their depression, just being there. Because that's what I didn't have. I saw mom and dad come in for that year and no one else. And I felt like I lost everything. Yeah. So on top of losing a job, losing a boyfriend, moving back home, I felt I lost my girlfriends. Yeah. And then it was hard to integrate back into the community of friends because time passes by and clicks form and you feel like, well, where do I fit? I don't fit anymore. And I don't feel understood. And what are people saying? What are people looking at? What are people feeling? And what did I do? You know, you you take all the shame upon yourself and you crucify yourself because when I was in the manic episode, I remember, I mean, I went to your house and I acted all foolish, but you have grace. (laughs) You gave me grace and you love me. But I sent people texts. I was calling people talking about love, like weird. You know, I did Mm -hmm. a lot of really weird things when I was manic. And so those friends, we never had conversations about it Mm. to this day. There has never been a a time where, you know, Fulana would be like, Hello, I remember that day and I wish I would have done this this way. Or, you know, I'm sorry that you were not well. And not that anybody owes me an apology, Mm -hmm. but it was just ignored and swept under the rug. And I think and that's so culturally what a lot of people do, right? It's like, yes. how do how do I how do I talk to her? How do I approach it? How do I? Exactly. It's it's it, that's the best way I could say. It. It's just like you said, it's swept under the rug, and it's just like, hey, so what's up? Are we not going to talk about it? We just going to sit here in silence, and you are going right. to stare at me and be like, is she crazy? Am I not crazy? What is like? What what are what are you thinking about me? Because now that makes you feel even more self conscious when you've had an episode. Or you're out of your element, your character, or who we all knew you to be all these years. And it's something different where um, we're not having that conversation. Like, yeah, what's up? You good? Let's, exactly. you, you ready to talk about it? Here's how I felt. Here's how you felt. Yes. And so... And, you know, it's, it's also timing, right? Mm-hmm. Everything is about timing. So maybe in the moment the bipolar person, right, is not ready to hear that. Mm-hmm. But years later, this is, we're talking about something that happened in 2018. Today, I am open to those conversations. And that's why I'm grateful for this platform. Yeah, Because I feel like 
my life hasn't ended, mm -hmm. right? There's still connections that I want to make and friendships that I want to rekindle. And I never know if through this podcast, someone may hear something and say, wow, let me apologize for something I said or didn't say. Or let me have a little more grace when I approach Pilar because now I know that she has this disorder. It is not fake. Mm -hmm. It's not something that I was, you know, acting and seeking attention. I remember... And I'll share this, and I don't mind if the person remembers it or not. I may offend her, but I remember someone saying, I'm going to go to her house to see how crazy she is. What? Because she didn't believe that I really had suffered a manic breakdown. And she did. She ended up coming to my house. <laughs> I'm like, what are you, you know? But that's the next Let me do a crazy pedometer, <laughs> meter, whatever, you know, like, crazometer. Yes. <laughs> Oh, let, let me assess the level of crazy. I, oh my God. I have no words. I've forgiven her. And, yeah. You know, we're, we're not, we're acquaintances, I would say. But it was just interesting. That's the kind of thing that people were doing. And that's not what somebody needs when they're going through a manic episode. No. Like that, that me tocate la temperatura. Let me see. Yeah. Let me touch and see. Like, let me, this, this, this is how you know that we don't understand mental illness. Um, and the mental illness that people see and see the most is where people like, especially in the Latino culture, son loco is like the extent of my brother's, let's say mental illness, right. you know? Um, but when they see like a flash in the mood from mania to depression, um, it's harder to see because if you see the depressive state and then in the latest state, like she's just, she's just extra happy to be outside because she's been depressed this month without really understanding. Right. <laughs> yes. There's and more so to it. To act, to mask. My husband mm -hmm. says this, when I'm manic, I'm happy. Yeah. And I'm productive. I'm doing things around the house. It's clean. I'm, I'm organizing. And so I enjoy it. Like, I will be honest. I enjoy my mania. Mm -hmm. And there are artists like, um, I think Jim Carrey has said it too. He act, you know, he does his best acting when he's manic. And so you don't kind of don't want to come down from that high. Mm -hmm. And so if, if my husband asked me, Babe, have you been taking your pills? Are you feeling okay? I'll be like, yeah. <laughs> Don't stop my flow. <laughs> I'm creative. I got my juices flowing right yes. now. Yeah. It's so it's so wild. Like you have to learn to live with it and manage it well. And you can thrive. Like I've learned I can still be energetic Pilar mm -hmm. without being manic yes. and needing a hospitalization. Yes. But there's a, a healthy balance. I have to find um, like I can't stay up past midnight right? because if I lose sleep, that's a trigger for me. I can't, um, fast and diet the way that I want to, even though I want to lose weight because mm -hmm. if I don't eat well, that's a trigger for me. So there's certain things that I've incorporated in my life that'll help me to feel good. Mm -hmm. I want to feel good. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be depressed. Mm -hmm. Um, but I can't go too far. You know, because and any behavior, it's it's just like life. Everything in moderation. Right. If I do anything too much, I can go over the edge and go over into manic state. Mm -hmm. And then if I lay back too much, if I'm home and I'm like, oh, I'm just gonna sleep in every day till eleven, <laughs> that'll trigger a depressive episode. Right. So you know, and this, in I got a question yesterday. How is it dealing with it in the pandemic? And it's been really interesting because. I was starting to feel depressed mm -hmm. and I'm on medication. I take my medication religiously. I have a great psychiatrist and therapist and I'm checking in with them. 
But being home, you don't need Jamelia. You like to be home. out. You you go. <laughs> you, if you gotta go to the supermarket ten times, you go to the supermarket ten yes. times because you gotta breathe fresh air. Yeah. I need it. I'm like a flower. Mm-hmm. I need sunlight and I need to be outside. And so this has been very challenging. But what I've done is create a structure for myself and for my girls, of course. And I said, you know what? I'm not gonna have no fear and and stay home because I was staying home all day mm-hmm. and I would only go to the compra once a week, which I think most people are doing. Mm-hmm. But now that things are getting a little bit better, I go out with my mask and I say, you know what? I have to get air every day. Even if I'm walking around the block, I need to breathe in some fresh air, say a couple of verses and pray and come back home. I can't be stuck in this house. Yes. <laughs> Cause that would trigger a depressive episode, you know? And what are you gonna do? You're gonna sit in your bed all day and watch novelas? Right. Like, I can't do that. Right. It's not gonna work for me. Because then that also, it's disrupting the schedule that you've created for yourself to have some stability. And so now, you know, everything, especially with the pandemic, it's changed everyone's schedule. And um, for you to sit and watching TV, that's associating in bed, that's associating with depressive symptoms, too, because that would be something you would do. So your body's like, are we depressed or not? Like, what is this? Yeah, <laughs> it's like you said that you laid in bed talking to yourself on the other side. Like we, de- what we, what are we going through? We depressed today? What's going on? Right. I'm trying to figure it out because I don't I feel it. Five-year-old, I have a five-year-old jumping on me like, "Mommy, get up, wake up, the yeah. sun is up." I'm like, "Okay, you're right, baby." <laughs> right. So, Pilar, with um, as part of your journey, um, yeah. many blessings came about, which was your husband, yeah. and I know people probably questioned that because they felt that was quick and it happened and how did that happen um and then you had two beautiful children um and then in the midst you know you've also had you experienced your own traumas and so um you're a survivor and and i think that's what people will see and take away from this is that you're a survivor but there isn't a way to be a survivor without something to kind of help you get through and that's something for you was your spirituality yes and so let's, let's journey through that because Pilar, if you knew Pilar, Pilar didn't grow up in a church. Pilar didn't, the mm-hmm. spirituality wasn't for, she was just like, <laughs> what? Okay. No, that was not you. No. I was not a Pentecostal girl. I tell you this, I feel in my life, I, like you said, I will first um, address what you said about my husband and my kids. God has definitely shown off in my life in the last eight years mm-hmm. i've gotten married i have two beautiful children after having four miscarriages mm-hmm. after losing one baby at five months old i didn't think that i was ever gonna have kids we were resorting to foster care we're like yeah we'll do foster care we'll adopt you yeah. know we'll figure it out but i prayed and i asked god to give me children of my own flesh and blood mm-hmm. and he has so that is like amazing and for any mom listening, if you have a mental illness or know someone that does, you can thrive and be a good mother even with a mental illness. I want to tell you that. You get the right medication and the right therapy team, you're going to be okay. Um, and you rely heavily on a support system. Mm-hmm. I have that. I have my family. I have friends. If I need babysitting, I can call on whoever. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm free for a night. And that gives me that cushion that I need a little bit of you know stress free night with my husband or, or just by myself yeah um 
but my spirituality i will say has it definitely came right after my first manic episode mm -hmm. so i think that had i not had a manic episode i would not be saved mm. you know like it, it it's the blessing in disguise right <laughs> I, I, it's I like jesus this is what you had to do to bring me closer to you you just yeah, had to have me right He's like, I'm just going to drop this bomb on you, give you a spa day for, you know, a few days a week at the hospital, yes. but then you're going to come to me. That's exactly what it was. I love it this analogy that he uses, and I love it. It's like, I had, I had a great job. I was making great money, but with that great money, I was smoking a lot of weed and mm -hmm. drinking a lot of alcohol. <laughs> and the, it was like, all on an alfombra, right? All mm -hmm. on a rug. And it was like, God just, you know, he whipped up that rug and was like everything that doesn't belong in this girl's life is gone right now Ooh. and i had a mental breakdown because of it you know i lost the, the job i was laid off and i left my ex where i was doing drugs with and i moved in with my parents but i found a church mm -hmm. and i said you know what there's another lover um, named Jesus that I can pour into my life that is going to fill the voids that I have. And those voids I was filling with the drugs and the alcohol, right? right. So I replaced that. It was, it was something that I needed to do. And for that year, I was not on medication. Mm. You know, I was trying different medications that weren't working for me, but I really wasn't happy with them. So God really held me and kept me through that year. And, and ever since then, I've been in church. So that was 2008, 2009, and I will never look back. Amen. Amen. And I know there are um, people you found in church to support you. Um, but even oh, your husband's yeah. story is amazing because he wasn't a church person either. Oh, no. I know. He was <laughs> on the other side of the totem pole. He was, he was an atheist. Yes. To be honest. Yes. He was a, a proclaimed atheist, like he will say it. And he came in as a baby Christian. And I'll never forget, my pastor was going to marry us. And she said, I need to know him. I need to get to know him for six months. If not, you're not getting married to him. Mm. Because I don't know where he's coming from or, you know, what his intentions are with you. Right. And I love that she did that because we wanted to, we met in um, October. We wanted to get married in March. And she pushed it to June. Mm -hmm. And we, you know, we obliged. And it was, you know, being obedient, you know, to her. And it was worth it because we had our, our our marriage sessions. We talked about money, love, sex, everything that could break up a marriage. Right. We talked about in those sessions. And we still have those conversations today. And we have a fantastic marriage. And we'll be married eight years in June. That's beautiful. So I'm so grateful. That is so yeah. beautiful. And I think just as your friend, um, just seeing how much he loves you and how he loves you and how gentle he loves you, you know, that's, yeah. that's so important because, you know, with, with the mania, with bipolar one, the stress is your, your trigger, you know, and imagine being yeah. in a relationship or marriage where there's things that are also triggering and, you know, the stress of being a parent is a lot. And so, you have been, it's like the blessing in disguise. It's like, okay, you have this, but this doesn't define you because you have so many other beautiful things um, coming for you and um, going on for you, which is beautiful. Yeah. 
Beautiful. So Pilar, what would you, I know some people have questions on your Instagram, um, yes. but I know other people have approached you with questions. I know other people have been curious or nosy or whatever. Um, what, what would you, what would you say was the hardest and what would you say are lessons learned from well, this good. journey? The hardest is being honest when I need help. Mm. So when I am in a manic episode, like I said before, like the high. So I know when I say, oh, I need help, which means I have to go to the hospital. They're going to bring me down from that high. Mm. And that breaks my heart because I start thinking, well, I'm not going to be able to write or create the way that I love or, you know, I'm not going to be able to organize my calendar in 20 minutes. Right. <laughs> like this productivity that I love so much, I, I, I get, you know, self-worth from that. Like I like to feel productive. I like to feel like I did a good job in something. And so I do a lot of things when I'm manic and when I have to come down from that and ask for help, that means having a family meeting, mm. letting my husband know first, and then, of course, my parents, because we're very close. Mm-hmm. And it feels almost like I'm disappointing them. I feel like a burden. And, of course, they say, you're not a burden. You know, you're my child. You're not a burden. You're my wife. Yeah. I would do anything for you. Oh, you're about to make but me cry. Yeah, no, <laughs> no because I, I could feel the love they have for you. Yeah, I know, but I feel yeah, the love yeah, that they have for you, where it's just like, no, you're not a burden. Oh, that got me emotional. (laughs) There's a quote that Mother Teresa says that love starts at home. Mm -hmm. And I will tell you that my healing in 2008 started because I became a saved Christian. Mm -hmm. But my healing in the last episodes that I've had, which have been recent. I was in the hospital in January. I was in the hospital when I was pregnant. That healing has come from my parents and my husband. Mm -hmm. Because they have loved me through the pain. Yes. They have loved me and held my hand to literally walk into the psych ward. Imagine that. Walking yeah. your son, Michael, into a psych ward and having to release him. I'm 37, mm-hmm. but I know my mother still sees me as that. Of course. Of course. She just look at me like, girl, you know what you got to do, mm-hmm. right? And I'm like, all right, mommy, but just hold my hand. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, and I'm being super transparent about yeah. that. I know there are other people that don't have the same relationships with their families, but I am close to my parents and they're alive. So as long as they're alive, they're going to be all in my business. Yeah. And I don't mind because they have helped me. They Absolutely. They have really helped me heal. Now, what are some lessons learned? One of the biggest lessons learned is I have patience with myself Mm. because a trigger for bipolar disorder is stress. I usually have attacks or manic episodes when I add too much to my plate. Mm. So you know me, Jamili, I want to do a million things. I have a million ideas. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) I'm always trying to pursue something new. This doesn't work. I move on to the next thing. So I've definitely learned in this season, God is like, just stay put mm. and do one thing at a time and finish that. Yes. And move on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. And for me, 
my last episode was in January, so of this year. So he said, for this next three months, take care of your children, Pilar. That's all I want you to do. You don't have to go become a scholar. You don't have to go back to school online. You don't have, you know, all of these other things that I wanted to do, I had to put them on hold. Mm -hmm. So a lesson learned is to take life moment by moment, Mm -hmm. not even day by day. Mm -hmm. Enjoy your children, you know, make sure they're good. And then my dreams are, it's never too late for me to pursue my dreams. I guess that would be a second lesson there. There are things that I want to accomplish in life that it's just never the right time sometimes. And I struggle with that. Yeah. But then something like Caitlin Academy comes into my lap this month. And I'm like, wow, okay, I can't go to school. I just had to wait three months. Mm -hmm. I I just had to wait a little bit. Be patient. Be patient. Be still. And know that I'm with you. (laughs) Yes. Be yeah, still and know that I'm with you. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Be still and know that I'm God. Because we tend to want to take control of things. You know, I'm very A-type personality. Mm-hmm. And stress is going to make me manic. So I can't have stress in my life. Right. It's as simple as that. Now, stress stress can be inevitable, though, right? Um, yes. Because there could be just any certain thing. Uh, the refrigerator got messed up. Your daughter gets sick or, or something or a family member, et cetera, um, or financial changes, you know, especially with everything. Um, but those other external stressors, right? Um, how have you found ways to kind of cope with them little by little so that it doesn't completely affect your psyche? Well, that's good. I rely on my husband a lot, mm-hmm. I'll be honest. Mm-hmm. We have tons of conversations. If something, I don't, I don't let anything simmer, mm. you know, if something bothers me or if I'm stressed about something, I let him know immediately. And he has a great way of reverse engineering things. Like, you know, <laughs> I'm going to work this out. You know, men, they, yeah. they're solution driven. Right. So he's like, I got it. Like literally that's Davey. Mm-hmm. He's like, I got it, babe. I'm going to do it. I'm going to take care of it. Don't worry about it. And and automatically, I'm like, well, that's lifted from my plate. Yeah. You know? He's like, Pilar, just take care of the girls. You're a mom. Be a mom. God has called you to be a mother. He's equipped you to do that. You do it well. And I'm like, that's it? That's all I got to... You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, we're not used to that. Yeah. I'm like, I need a nine-to-five job. I need to go exercise and look like Kim Kardashian. <laughs> like, you know, we have all these unrealistic goals. Yep. And he's like, just be a mama to my kids. And cook for me sometimes. And you're good, baby. So my husband, I have to to his horn. He definitely helps me when when there is something that comes up that could be stressful or triggering. Mm -hmm. He helps me to break it down and shows me, you know what? It's not that serious, baby. And he also points me back to God Mm -hmm. and reminds me that God has been so faithful to us. Like right now we are living on, and this is complete transparency Mm -hmm. because I don't care. We are living on one home. I am a stay-at-home mother for two daughters. And we, no, no me hace falta nada. Yeah. Like, if anything, we're good. Yeah. And it amazes me every single day. And we're happy. Mm-hmm. You know, God gives you what you need. And he has definitely done that in my life. Amen. Amen. 
Amen. That, you know, that just touched me that where we have to kind of circle things back and be like, God gives you what you need. Right. Because we, yes. we're we in a society where we want, 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 want. And yeah. I think with information overload from the Internet, social media, wants, needs and expectations can significantly skew, significantly skew our perception of reality of wants and needs and wishes. And I think that's important. And it's so humbling just to hear that. It's just is we have to kind of circle back to. What do we need? What do we really need at this moment? What do we really need at this moment? What is important at this moment? Are those sneakers, those shoes, that vacation important? Or spending time or building wealth or building, you know, cleaning up your credit score or, or reports or whatever. Like what is what is really important? And I think yeah. that's beautiful. Thank you for just circling that back and just that reminder where we kind of tend to forget about that. Yeah. Another practice that we've been doing in the pandemic, I'm sure everybody has, is simplifying. So like a lot of decluttering, you know, what can we get rid of and give away? And with that comes peace. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you know, you know what I'm trying to say. Your home is your sanctuary. Yes. Yes. And And when it's not clean. (laughs) Listen, this house is upside down. I start to get a little triggered. Mm -hmm. So we've been looking around and saying, do we really need this? Do we really need that? Could we give this away? And we're teaching the kids that as well. Um, Well, at least Danny with her toys and her books. And, you know, if you have two of something, give one away. That's Mm -hmm. a biblical truth. Mm -hmm. So that mommy's not not having a lot to clean up and I'm not going to be stressed out. Right. <laughs> That's the also good side right. of it, right? Can we just simplify life? Right. And, and with that comes a great blessing of blessing someone else, right? Because like, mm-hmm. what I put outside in the hallway, someone else is going to take into the apartment and make into some beautiful treasure. Right. <laughs> right. It always happens. Right. Pilar, you... Help. I know. Your energy has to be different. It does. It does. You've shared uh, so much information um, what are some other things that you wish to share with listeners with regards to um, living with bipolar disorder um, or with or just, you know, even with mental illness? One thing I would want to say is don't allow it to define who you are. So I did that for many years. I added it like a label, like a band-aid. I'm bipolar. I have bipolar and someone corrected me yesterday, and she said, no, you don't have it. You're diagnosed Most with it. it. Right? Yeah. And so take the Band-Aid off, remove it. It's a part of your life, just like if you have diabetes mm-hmm. or cancer. And it can, be, it can be healed, and you can manage it. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I wouldn't want people to get this type of diagnosis and feel doomed. Like, I'm never going to be okay. I'm never going to have a husband. I can't take care of kids. Because I have had negative thoughts like that when I have my episodes and I end up in the hospital. I was thinking, oh, my God, they're going to take my kids away because I'm not an adequate mother. And that's a lie from the devil. I had to say, let me look at my children. They are healthy. They are loved. They are happy. They have clothes. They have food. You know, we have to remind ourselves who we are and Especially if you're a Christian, remind yourself what Christ says. Mm -hmm. In the Bible, he says, by his stripes, we are healed. Mm -hmm. So we are healed. Mm -hmm. 
you claim that instead of saying, I'm sure, Jimmy, when you had your throat cancer, you mm-hmm. didn't say, well, I have cancer and I'm going to die. You spoke life over mm-hmm. yourself. Mm-hmm. I have been diagnosed with this. It is going to be healed. In the name of Jesus, and I'm going to move on from it. Right, and it's it's a you part. Have, it's, it's a part of your mindset. It's all about your mindset and what you, how you take it in, you know. And I think you said something that was so poignant, and something that I always say to the kids or to the clients or the parents who are so against their kids being on uh, medication or whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm like, if you had diabetes, if you had cancer, and this was the diagnosis, and this is what the recommendation is. Why would you not do it to heal that? And right. so people, it's hard for people to understand that. And I think it was also um, culturally hard. I think about my parents to understand that with my brother, because for them, it was like, no, we're going to pray over him. Mom and dad, you could pray mm-hmm. over him a lot, but he also needs extra support. And so in the Bible, yeah. it doesn't say that he shouldn't go to a hospital, that this is all forever right. going to be healed. No, that you need to use multiple things in order to help heal him, restore him. Um, and I always do pray for him. And I'm always like, God, you know, give him give him um, new cells in his brain, you know, because it's a chemical imbalance, yes. obviously, with schizoaffective disorder. Give him new cells in his brain. Um, but it took some time for my parents to really understand mental illness and really understand the importance and the need for him to be on medication um, and with services because ellos lo tapaban, como quien dice. They would, they'd be like, oh, he's saying that he's going to therapy. He's, I'm like, ma, he, I know he hasn't taken his meds. Have you counted the pills? No, eso está ahí mismo. Ma, I went into his room. Yeah. He's not taking his meds. This is what he needs. This is the support and getting them engaged and involved in the hospital discharge meetings. And so what's next? So what can we do? And what's the next step? And involving my other siblings, because it felt almost like a burden to me as the social worker in the family where everything yeah. had to fall on my lap. And that tarnished the relationship with my brother and still to this day because I'm the one to blame for all his hospitalizations and it sucks and it hurts that we don't you know we don't speak we don't have that connected relationship and it's okay I've allotted him his space and my space um in that journey but because I'm the bad guy I'm the one who hospitalizes him all the time you know I've gotten phone calls from the hospital getting cursed out when I tell you cursed oh. I oh my god it's your effing fault I'm effing here you lying on me you keep lying on me so I've had to you know remove myself I would say for the past year you know and that's that's one thing I would definitely tell yeah. people in treating um and having family members who have mental illness that it's a it's it, you should do a tag, you're it. You know, if you have multiple family members where yes. someone else yes. can then take on the go caretaker, on right? Go on a rotation. So now that's with my brothers. I'm like, tag, you're it. I'm not, you know, I can't do it mm-hmm. because this is destroying me. Um, it's it's time for you guys to step up. So, you know, they'll side consult with me on the side. So what should I ask about this? I'm like, he should get these services and this service and advocate for this and advocate for that. Um because obviously that's not their field, you know, and I, it, it, I'd be amiss right. if I'm stepped back and completely removed. I can't. That's my brother. Depend, you know, despite all the issues and traumas that he and I have endured, um, it's my brother. And I, I've looked past that and, and seen him for 
what happened to him, not what's wrong with him. And I know I talked about that in an episode right. and you, we kind of circled back on that from what you had said earlier was that people look at you like what's wrong with you. And it's what happened to me. Like, let's, let's stop exactly. the judgment. What happened to me that I am this way and let's work at, through it that way. Not what's wrong. Cause we're quick to point. We're quick to judge. We're quick to judge. We are so quick yes. to judge, especially when we don't understand something and something is uncomfortable. So I wanted to share that because um, there, there's always two sides to the mental illness, the caretaker role. <laughs> and right. then, you know, right. and then the person kind of going through it and how you could support both ways in both areas. And I would say for the caretaker role, you guys also have to take care of your mental health. Mm-hmm. Like when you are taking care of someone with a mental illness, because... It takes a toll on you. And yeah. Like I said, I don't ever want to feel like I'm a burden to my family. Mm-hmm. But they've done a lot. Yeah. They, they've lost sleep and they take care of the girls when I'm in the hospital. And, you know, they're figuring out what, what they're going to eat and who's going to bathe them and all these things that I would do. Um, and so after that, I know they need a vacation mm-hmm. of their own. Right. Like it, it, it takes a toll. But they're... There's advocacy out there, too. You know, there's support groups for mm-hmm. those that don't understand. Um, one organization I would recommend is NAMI. Mm, yes. The National Association so for Mental that, Illness. Yep. Yes. To connect families to these support groups so that can hear stories of other families and what they're going through. Mm-hmm. And it'll give you perspective. You know, thank God. I thank God I've had five hospitalizations and not 15. Yeah. You know, I didn't know until I started going to speaking to people that have gone to support groups and speaking to my therapist that this could be a lot worse mm-hmm. for me. And I am take one medication as opposed to 10. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Because so, I've seen the, the mix in the cocktails of medication and whether you're taking... Yeah. Um, Wellbutrin or Lexapro or Depico yeah. or this or that. Like there's always a concoction, a congented, you know, you name it. <laughs> there's always a mixture yeah. where it's just, you know, for it to be one, that's amazing as opposed to a cocktail of yeah. two, three or four. Yeah, I'm really grateful. You know, this has humbled me. It has stopped me in my tracks. Mm-hmm. There were plans and things that I wanted to do that, you know, I would have an episode. And it it, it's a, it has a lot to do in my life, personally, with control. Mm. I have to let go and just be okay with the plan that God has for let me. Let go, let God. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes. So, Pilar, any other last words for listeners? Um, with anything you want to kind of leave them with? Yes. Um... I have just one scripture. Yep. This is a life scripture that my family, we've had it since we lost our first baby in 2013. Mm -hmm. It's Jeremiah 29, 11. It says, but I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And I don't know who's going to come across this podcast, but if you're in a bad place, God has a hope and a future for you. So hopefully this is a beginning to you reaching out to NAMI, reaching out to a behavioral health center to get the help that you need. Because there are therapists and psychiatrists out there that are ready and willing to help you. 
Amen. Thank you so much, Pilar. I am so humbled. And I always, I know I always say that people are like, she's always humble, but I am humble because anytime I have someone to share their story, to be vulnerable, to be in this space, to share the space with me and with everyone else, it is a humbling experience. They are, you know, we, we are journeying through life together. Um, and that's the beauteous part of life, right? Um, where we working, where everyone is working on their inner self. And, and the beauty of it. And so I'm grateful and thankful that you spent this time with me this morning, this, well, this afternoon at this point. <laughs> yeah. um, but I, I'm so grateful, Pilar. Thank you so much. And you know, I love you. Thank you so much. I love you, sweetie. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Beauteous Me podcast. Please be sure to download new episodes every week. And send us your girl, what were you thinking or asking for friend stories to info at IamBeauteousMe.com. All entries remain anonymous. Also, don't, 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 don't forget to rate, review, and hit the subscribe button now.